Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With a victory on Monday Night Football, our beloved are off to snide and looking to add to their win column when they travel south to St. Louis to take on the schizophrenic Rams on Sunday. Which Rams team will show up to play, and will the Bears be able to beat them? Joe McAtee from SB Nation's Turf Show Times joins us for the Week 10 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Number 10 for our beloved Chicago Bears has them going back out on the road to take on the St. Louis Rams. And I, for one, really don't know how to feel about this game. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the Week 10 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. And our guest this week will be Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times from SB Nation for the St. Louis Rams. Lots to talk about there because this is one of the more intriguing teams and one of the more mind-boggling teams in the NFL uh, in 2015, you know, playing in a, in a tough, tough division over in the NFC West that has the Cardinals uh, that are leading the division right now, the Seahawks, the two-time defending NFC champion, uh, coming off a heartbreaking loss in the Super Bowl. Uh, the 49ers are really the only team in that division that weren't expected to uh, contend and basically right now what they're sitting at what three and five three and six wherever they are right now they're they're playing to what everybody thought was going to happen uh, with that dumpster fire of a franchise and everything that happened to them uh, in the offseason it was the Rams that people were expecting to kind of take that next big step uh, they were a team hovering around that seven and nine eight and eight area and you know with their young uh, tenacious ferocious defense um, you know, the, the front four of the defensive line, all first round picks, you know, Chris Long, Michael Brockers, uh, Aaron Donald, who the Bears were one pick away from having themselves. I mean, honestly, Kyle Fuller has been OK for us. Just OK. He was better last year than he has been this year. But, I, you know, just why? Why did they have to take him? They didn't need him. You'll hear me talk to Joe McAtee about it, but, you know, we could have had Aaron Donald instead of Kyle Fuller, and damn it, the Rams went ahead and took him when they didn't need him. And anyway, uh, Aaron Donald and then Robert Quinn on the other side, all first-round picks, and then even signing uh, Nick Fairley in the offseason gives them five number-one draft picks in, you know, all within the last, like, six years, I think, is the, is the oldest one. Uh, not to mention Laurinaitis and Alec Ogletree, uh, Janoris Jenkins in the secondary. I mean, they're full 
of young, talented defensive players. And then they go ahead and they draft Todd Gurley, who has uh, come on like gangbusters in the last four or five weeks uh, of the uh, of the season. Uh, they traded for Nick Foles. You know, maybe he's not a more dynamic quarterback, but he's certainly a lot more dependable uh, than Sam Bradford, given his uh, lack of injury history compared to Bradford, at least, um, which is not saying much. I mean, most people have a uh, have quite a healthy record compared to Sam. There are people in their 80s who are healthier than Sam Bradford. But, uh, you know, the, the Rams were kind of being viewed upon as that team to, to make that next big step, to be a team that, that could surprise and contend. And yet, as you've heard me say in the, in the opening, you've heard me say it a couple of times uh, this season when kind of looking ahead at the Rams, the most schizophrenic team in the league. Week one, they come out, they beat the Seahawks. Week two, uh, they choke on the road against the, the Washington Redskins. They can't put enough points on the board to beat a team without Ben Roethlisberger. And he went down like late in the first quarter. So they played the majority of the game without him. Could only muster six points against them. Then, you know, they go on the road to, to Arizona and beat the Cardinals. The, the game wasn't as close as the final score would indicate, 24-22. to 22. The Cardinals had to come on late in garbage time to catch up. The Rams went ahead big early in that game. That was one of Todd Gurley's first big games uh, in in the of the season, you know. And then the last four games have kind of gone the way you would expect. They lost to Green Bay in Lambeau. Uh, they beat San Francisco in Cleveland, and they lost last week on the road at Minnesota. So not too big a surprise the last four weeks. But those first four weeks, they lost games they should have won, and won games they probably should have lost. And you know that's what makes this team, you know, from week to week, you don't know what to expect from them one week they can put up 30 points and be prolific and dominating uh on the field and then the next week they can lay a huge egg uh in a place where they probably should have won easily so um that's why i laid down the question in the opening which rams team is going to show up and will the bears be able to beat them will the bears be able to roll over that team that that plays down to their competition uh you know or are they going to play that team that comes out like gangbusters uh, regardless of who the opponent is, and runs them down, wears them out, and and knocks them out late. So you know we'll have to see who's going to show up on Sunday, which is why you'll hear me tell Joe McAtee I'm both excited and scared of this game because I definitely think this is a winnable game for the Bears. But I think this is going to go one of two ways, and I think I mentioned this in the review episode when I touched upon it for just a moment last week or earlier this week, I should say. I think the Bears are either going to win a close game, which is kind of our MO so far this year, or I think the Rams are going to run us out of the stadium. I think it's one of those two scenarios. I don't really foresee the Rams, you know, winning a close game. You know what I mean? I I think if it's close, that means the Bears are keeping it close and the Bears are going to be the one to kind of come off uh in the end cuz that's been our MO. The Rams either they win big or they they lose small kind of thing. So, um that's kind of been their MO. Uh, so far uh, this season so we'll see which team shows up uh, to Edwards Jones Dome on uh, on Sunday and before we get to our talk with uh, Joe McAtee I have some disappointing news folks and I'm not really even going to touch upon the three players now that have tested positive for performance enhancing uh, drugs Uh, Ego Ferguson who was on injured reserve who they say will start serving his suspension immediately, uh, which is to say I think that what they mean by that is that he's not going to get paid for the next four weeks. Uh, Tayo Fabeluge, our sixth-round pick 
uh, this year also tested positive, um, saying that the you know he took a substance. Uh, I guess he said that uh, when he read the label, he didn't see a banned substance uh, on the label. He either misread the label or he got it wrong, one of the two. Um, but he has also been suspended. And then um, I forget his first name, but Saunders, a wide receiver on our practice squad, also um, tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. So he will be suspended for the next four games uh, as well. So that's just, you know, all I'm going to say about that. I'm not even going to get into PEDs and all the rest of that stuff. The The biggest news being, of course, that uh, – we started reading tweets today uh, while I was at work on my lunch break, and what happened in practice except Alshon Jeffrey tweaked a groin muscle and basically did either did it late Wednesday in practice or he did it today. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Day in practice, one of the two. He was listed as not practicing uh, today, so I'm guessing it happened yesterday and they're just resting him and, and getting him ready, but, you know... Uh, just after he's been teasing us for the last three weeks, three straight 100-yard 100, 100 receiving games, just, you know, when he catches the damn ball, he's as dominant as any receiver in the game. And, uh, you know, here we are coming up against a real defensive test. We're really going to need him and his playmaking ability against this defense. And he tweaks a, ham, uh, tweaks a groin muscle in, uh, in practice. So was not too happy uh, about that. Um, in other injury-related news, uh, surprise, surprise, Matt Forte, even though he's been limited, found his way onto the practice field uh, these last two days. He's been limited on Wednesday and Thursday, and I posted on Facebook, um, you know, when it said uh, that the headline was Forte surprises Bears by practicing on Wednesday. It's like, yeah. After the way Lankford performed on Monday, was anybody surprised to hear that Forte found his way out to the practice field on Wednesday? You know, even if he doesn't play this weekend, he's trying to he's doing that for somebody. You know what I mean? He's he's doing that to show either the other 31 teams in the league that he wants to play or he's showing the Bears that, hey, don't forget about me or God forbid. But, you know. He, I, I, I don't think he's just doing that because he's feeling better. I think he's doing that because he wants to remind people that, uh, you know, to not forget about him because he wants to keep his job. The kid had one good game, but I'm Matt Forte. I've had a ton of good games in my eight years uh, in a bear uniform. So, you know, I was not surprised at all to hear that Matt Forte found his way onto the practice uh, field uh, this week, although he's been doing it in uh, limited capacity uh, thus far. Shane McClellan, uh, Hironis Grasso, both still limited but practicing this week. 
Uh, Robbie Gold has been was out on Wednesday with with illness, so I'm guessing probably a cold, considering the turn in the weather the last uh, couple of weeks. But he was uh, full participation today. Uh, Jermon Bushrod was limited on yesterday and today with uh, still nursing that shoulder injury. Benno McPhee has been resting his knee, hasn't been practicing uh, this week. But, you know, if, if the trend follows, he will play on Sunday. Most likely will practice tomorrow on Friday. I think that's a requirement for John Fox. If you want to play on Sunday, you got to practice at least on, on Friday. Uh, Tracy Porter with a hip injury. Uh, Antro Roll limited with an ankle injury, probably just nursing it. Uh, on nursed it on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. Eddie Royal hasn't practiced yet. And Mitch Unrein, the defensive lineman, uh, out with an illness today, wasn't on the injury report uh, on Wednesday. So that's basically the rundown of the injury report for the Bears. On the St. Louis Rams side, pretty much nobody practiced on Wednesday. Everybody on the injured list uh, didn't practice on Wednesday except for Chase Reynolds, their backup running back. Uh, has been w- who was full participation on Wednesday, but Akeem Ayers, Todd Gurley, uh, starting right tackle Rob Havenstein, Chris Long, Kyle Long's older brother, uh, T.J. McDonald, their safety, uh, Robert Quinn, uh, none of them practiced on Wednesday. Akeem Ayers and Todd Gurley were full participation on Thursday. Rob Havenstein and Robert Quinn were both limited on Thursday, and Chris Long, T.J. McDonald with knee and foot injuries, respectively, uh, did not have not practiced yet on Wednesday or Thursday, so I'd say that their uh, chances for playing on Sunday are uh, slim. But uh, you know, quite a few names uh, for the Bears: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I thought the list was shrinking. I think it was down to like nine last week. It's up to eleven again this week. The Rams only have seven uh, on their uh, injury list, so they're coming in uh, the healthier team. Uh, so and they have good depth in the places where they're hurt right now as well. You heard Joe McAtee talk about that uh, for a bit. So just kind of disappointed to see that, um, you know, after the way that Alshon has performed the last three weeks, that we may not have him in a game that, um, we, you know, we, we need this one. We definitely do. I mean, I'm not talking playoffs or anything crazy like that but uh you know if we want to talk about a seven and nine or a uh you know eight and eight season this is a win we got to have because these next two games against denver and green bay not only are they two against two of the best teams in the league they're basically back to back we're playing denver next sunday and then the following thursday on thanksgiving we're playing green bay so we're playing two of the best teams in the nfl inside of four days so you know, <laughs> this is one we got to have. We got to be able to win this game against the Rams. And like I said, I, I feel this is a winnable game for the Bears. It really is. And I think it's going to come down, more importantly, to how the Bears start this game. Because you'll even hear Joe McAtee say, and even like um, Matt Stanley said last week for the Chargers, um, you know, what the, if, if, if the Bears can get off to a fast start, if they can put some points on the board early, the Rams are a run-the-football, grinded-out defensive kind of team and you know aren't really built to come from behind. So if the Bears can put 10 points on the board in their first couple of drives, if they can finish the drives in the first quarter the way they can finish them, they have been finishing them in the fourth quarter against San Diego, against Kansas City, against Oakland, in our victories... 
If we could finish early in the first quarter the way that we have in the fourth, this could be a game that could get away from the Rams early. And the Bears could pounce on that because the, the Rams don't really have the firepower to produce the big plays to gash the Bears. If it's not going to come from Todd Gurley on the ground, it really isn't going to come from anybody else. We got to watch out for Gurley. We got to watch out for Tavon Austin. And pretty much everything else is just treading water on the defensive side of the ball. If we can bottle up Todd Gurley and, you know, keep tabs on Tavon Austin, this is a game that the Bears should be able, uh, I think, should be able to, to win. I think it'll be a low scoring uh, matchup if the Bears are going to win. You know, because like I said, I think the Bears are either going to win a close one, or the Rams are going <laughs> are going to go up huge and and beat the Bears by a, by a score or two. Uh, I really feel like that. That's just the, this funny gut feeling I have is how I feel the bear the the game is is going to go, uh, one way or the other. I think if the Rams win, it's going to be kind of like how they did before. I mean, forty two to twenty one was the score the last time the Bears played the Rams in St. Louis, the game that I actually attended the game was a little bit closer than the final score uh would indicate but you know it was a big win for the rams a big um you know big spread 21 points they doubled up on the bears uh in that one but i feel like if the bears win it'll be a tight game it'll be a you know 17 to 13 13 to 10 you know kind of football game where the bears i feel will have to get out in front early and have a lead and you have this lead throughout the football game you know, win the game 16 to 13, 16 to 10, uh, something in that area where they get up early and, you know, the Rams have to come from behind and play against their strength, which is probably trying to throw the football more than run to try to catch up. And that's where the Bears can, you know, tee off and go after uh, Foles and, and Fangio and company can can pin their ears back and, and go back and get them, kind of like we did with Phillip Rivers at the end of the game uh, on Monday Night Football. So that's kind of how I would like to see this game uh, unfold and you know I said it, it all depends on which team shows up and, and, and in a funny way it, it also kind of depends on which Bears defense shows up is it going to be that one that was suffocating in the second half that only allowed three points to the Chargers uh, on Monday night or is it going to be the one that let the Chargers go the length of the field to start off the game with an 86 yard drive you know and capped it off with a touchdown which of our defenses is going to show up that's also important that our defense gets off to a fast start too. So not only does our offense have to be able to finish drives early in the football game, but our defense has to be a bit more stringent. You know, bend but don't break, that's fine, but you can't break. And giving up an 86-yard drive to start off the football game, that's breaking. So we can't have that. And obviously, outside of that, nothing on special teams, no pick sixes, no fumble recoveries. We can't hurt ourselves. No self-inflicted wounds. That's the, basically those are your three keys. We got to get off to a fast start on offense, finish the drives, put points on the board, touchdowns on the board early because the Rams will have a hard time coming back from that because they're not they don't have the really the firepower to get into a shootout with anybody. On defense, also early, gotta stay heavy on them, be aggressive, bend but don't break, but you can't break. And then the third key, no self-inflicted wounds, whether that be. Uh, errors on special teams, penalties that are going to bring back big plays or kill drives, turnovers and such. You know, I know that encapsulates a lot, but you, you guys know what I mean. It, it always seems to be something in one way or another when it comes to those self-inflicted wounds that the Bears have uh, each and every week. So that's my take 
on the game. What do you say we go ahead and uh, bring in our friend uh, Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times to talk about the Bears for week number 10, previewing this week's game. And joining us here to help us preview the matchup between our beloved Chicago Bears and the St. Louis Rams coming up this Sunday, Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times on SB Nation. Joe, welcome to the Chicago Bears Review, and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So tell me something. How how far back does your fandom with the Rams go? I mean, were, were you are you from Los Angeles? Are you from St. Louis? Where does it Where does it start for you? So I was born in Los Angeles, uh, but I was a fan of the Rams in the early 90s when they took Jerome Bettis. That was actually the first time I ever wanted to buy an NFL jersey. Um, so it definitely goes back to the pre-St. Louis days, but I was young enough to not really know, because I grew up in Dallas, Texas. So I don't, I, I'm not really sure why I was a Rams fan or how that happened, but uh, by the time I was cognizant enough to understand football, I already was a Rams fan, and certainly you know, into the late 90s and when they had already moved to St. Louis and actually got good, yeah, the, uh, uh, the Rams fandom had been around for a while. So I'm not really sure where it came from, but it's been around for long enough to have known pain for quite a long time as a Rams fan. <laughs> So no parental influence in on that or, or just? Oh, absolutely none. No, my mom is from Louisiana, so she's full on board with the Saints and the Cowboys when uh, uh, they moved to Dallas right before or right after I was born. And then uh, my dad actually grew up in the uh, Philadelphia, Chicago corridor, and he was kind of an Eagles fan, but not really a hardcore football fan. So, no, I didn't. It's not like uh, my parents were Rams fans or anybody that I really knew was Rams fans. So I don't really know. I think it's just that gap of. Uh, young adolescents where you're impressionable on so many things and somehow the Rams broke through. So credit the Rams PR department. I don't know. I really don't know how it happened, man. Nice. But, uh, I was young enough that it happened early so that I, it got me for life. So tell me, um, how frustrating has it been watching this team this year? I mean, especially the first four games. I mean, I've, I've famously said on my show many times that I think the Rams are the most schizophrenic team in the NFL this year they come out week one they beat the Seahawks they make a mark I mean everybody thinks that the Rams are are just a smidge away from being special so they come out and they beat the Seahawks the, def the two-time defending NFC champion then they go on the road the week later and get it handed to them by the the Redskins who everyone had ranked 32 in their power rankings going into that game they can't beat a, a team without Ben Roethlisberger at home when he was gone for the majority of the game. Then they travel out to Arizona and stomp the stomp the Cardinals, uh, you know, on the road, you know, in Arizona. I mean, it's just you can't you do, you just don't know where the Rams are coming from. You think you know what they're capable of. Then Sunday happens, and then you don't really know what to expect going forward from there. Yeah, so frustration as a Rams fan is not a new condition for 2015, nor is schizophrenia when it comes to their football. That's a, a defining aspect of what we call Fisher Bowl at Turf Show Times. Um, I, I think so. You've got two things. One is the inconsistency of performance, right? And uh, that's a hallmark of Jeff Fisher's time with the Rams. Uh, it's part of why they haven't been able to get over the 500 threshold in this time. They haven't even hit 500 for all the jokes that Jeff Fisher's an eight and eight coach. The Rams have had a losing record uh, in his three years in St. Louis. Um, 
And part of that is, you know, being able to pick off wins in the NFC West in an era where it's been arguably the best division in football, and then dropping games outside of the division inexplicably. Uh, part of it is being able to to come away with wins against, let's say, quote unquote, better teams, and then leave losses on the field, like you pointed out in week two this year. Uh, against Washington. It's just part of what you get from an approach to football that Fisher brings that isn't really uh, defined by the characteristics of quote-unquote good teams in this era, being able to pass the ball, being able to you know shut down the pass effectively. Uh, but it's also the nature of having a very young team, a team that racks up penalties at a pretty prolific rate, that comes back to bite you in inconsistent ways where, you know, you may be able to put together your better football against some of the better teams, but the penalties and the inconsistencies can, you know, the regression to the mean can come at any time. And so against teams like Washington, and certainly it's going to happen over the rest of the season, we're going to see at least one more loss where you look at the Rams after a big win and say, how does that team do it? Well, that's part of the MO of the Rams is that they always do it. So, Because I felt for a few years now, that dating back to at least 2012, 2013, the way that they were racking up talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that this was a team basically just waiting to explode because, they're, because they have been the youngest team in the NFL for the last few years now, because, you know, Laurinaitis and Brockers and Quinn and, and, and Long and, and, you know, especially when you guys stole Aaron Donald one pick before the Bears were going to take him um, in, was it 2014? Well, that was last year, right? Yeah. Um, yep. You know, that was an absolute heartbreaking moment, I have to tell you. As a Bear fan, we were salivating over the fact that Aaron Donald was going to fall to us, and then you stole him when you didn't even need him, which is what uh, really drove me insane. But I've always thought that they, you guys were just that far away. If they could ever get over the hump offensively, then, you know, then the Nick Foles trade happens, and I kind of thought that that was going to kind of be the thing that might get you guys uh, over the hump, how did you feel about that trade initially, and then how do you feel about it now? Sure. Well, the, I think the key with the Nick Foles trade isn't even about Nick Foles, and it's not necessarily about the quality of play uh, that he's been putting forth in St. Louis or what Sam Bradford's done in Philadelphia. The problem was that the Rams structurally had been so dependent on Sam Bradford as their quarterback that over the last season and a half when he wasn't available, uh, first tearing his ACL against Carolina midway through the 2013 season, and then re-injuring it in the preseason last year against Cleveland, is that when you're that reliant on one guy to keep the entire offense together and you don't have him, then your entire strategy for the season falls apart. And they never had a plan B. They never had a competent backup that they could go to. They never really drafted one because they wanted to put all their eggs in one basket, and that basket broke. <laughs> Uh, so in terms of the trade, I think it was just necessary for the Rams to move on and find somebody that they could rely on to fill the position and start to put some other components in place uh, on the offense that they could rely on so that they could spread the uh, reliance around, that they'd have an offense that was a bit more multifaceted. I think they're still getting there. I think year one of that is a little bit too much to ask to turn that around. Uh, I think part of the problem, though, is that they've waited so long, and that's why you get to what you said is that they've been waiting to explode since 2012. They've had all this talent that now has blossomed into, you know, capable veteran players, guys like Robert Quinn, Janoris Jenkins, certainly James Laurinaitis, Chris Long on the defensive side. But you've got guys on offense like Roger Saffold, uh, Tavon Austin. Uh, Kenny Britt that are not rookies or second year players anymore and you're still waiting for this team to put it all together in a 
three, four, five game stretch. And that's kind of the problem. That's where you get the inconsistencies. And that's where a lot of the frustration comes about is when you look on paper, this should be a team that's able to string some wins together. And the fact that they haven't done yet yet is uh, indicative of the problem that Rams fans have with Jeff Fisher. So how secure would you say Jeff Fisher's job is? I mean, especially considering, like we've saying, the, you guys have had the talent that this is a team that, you know, people have been waiting for, you know, to try to, you know, get over that hump. And granted, with Arizona and Seattle in the, and well, and what used to be San Francisco all in the same division there, you know, they had a tough hill to, to climb to begin with. But, you know, they have the talent there that should be able to, to make some kind of decent run, especially with the defense you guys have. Uh, how, how secure would you say Jeff Fisher's job is if you guys continue to kind of middle it through uh, a schedule each year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, oddly enough, I still don't think uh, his seat's very hot for 2015. Uh, I think there's a couple of factors, probably three of them. Number one, uh, you have to remember that how shell-shocked Rams fans were going into the Jeff Fisher era. 2007 to 2011, the five-year run before he arrived, was actually the worst five-year stretch of any team in NFL history. Uh, you know, it was, it was a horrendous, horrendous team that was built horribly, that performed horribly, and that had a rash of injuries, especially near the end of the Steve Spagnuolo era that uh, just combined to make it the worst five-year run in NFL history. So the fact that Jeff Fisher hasn't won isn't as important to some fans as the fact that he hasn't been horrible, right? That is enough for them to have moved the team from, let's say, horribleness to mediocrity, and that's uh, an achievement that's sufficient enough for some people, even though it's been four years running now, and we're yet to get a, a winning record for the for the Rams at the end of the season, obviously four season notwithstanding since we're in the middle of it. Um, in terms of the other two factors at play, I think one of them is that there's a stability uh, on the franchise, and the fact that the draft has provided a stability that even when you lose players like EJ Gaines, starting cornerback that they lost in the preseason, Roger Saffold, uh, starting offensive lineman, and now Alec Ogletree, who looks like he might be back at the very end of the regular season, starting an upcoming off uh, outside linebacker, the Rams are stable enough to endure those injuries. It's not as catastrophic as it was in years past. Uh, the fact that Jeff Fisher is such a tenured, experienced NFL head coach, he knows how to manage. Uh, the ups and downs of the marathon of an NFL season and not get swept up in the uh, hype that can build week to week, which you see with some other teams, the the kind of things that can bring dysfunction and, and have those things affect the play of the team. Those things don't really pierce Jeff Fisher. And, and that's a, an absolute strength that he brings, uh, especially because of his experience. I think the third factor that's leading to him not being on the hot seat is that he's always within striking distance, right? The, the Rams are always just on the verge of a playoff run until they're not by week 15 or 16 or something. And that's kind of where they are right now at 4-4. Four and four. And if you look over the next month, they've got some games that they should be able to pick up some wins in, probably going to have seven or eight wins going into the last couple weeks of the season and be right where they are every year with an opportunity to make a playoff push and maybe not able to pick up on it again. So I think there's always this allure and this promise that he brings of being close without actually getting the Rams there. And for enough Rams fans, because of where they're coming from, that's been enough for the last couple of years. But I think it's starting to wane thinner than ever. Uh, we'll just have to see how the last couple of months of the season play off and what, what that means for him going forward with the Rams. So does does the move to the possible move to L.A. factor into that as all like do they want to have that security there if they move from, you know, St. Louis over to or back to Los Angeles or 
Uh, you know, do you think that's a factor at all as to whether or not, uh, you know, if the Rams, you know, kind of play up and down to their opponents and then finish eight and eight and out of the playoffs sure. uh, again? I think it's a very small factor. I think it, more of anything, it's one of the things that the fans look at. But I think if you look at the NFL, you, when you look so much going on with the games, that it's it's difficult to believe that anybody's thinking about Los Angeles, you know, in November of 2015, or that it's affecting the play. Uh, I think more than anything, it's just the fans speculating. And the problem with the Los Angeles thing is it puts a cloud over the whole scene for St. Louis uh, because it's difficult to get wound up about, you know, the potential of the team, the long-term success, and the next draft, and building up the youth because it's worth the team to move outside of any factors of what the fans of the city can do because you've got an owner that owns land in Los Angeles, owns the team outright, and there may not be anything that NFL or other owners are really willing to do in any real shape or form to stop him from moving it. And if that's the case, it almost doesn't matter what the team does or what the fans do. It's a, It may be a premeditated outcome uh but in terms of the head coach i think that's one of those secondary or even tertiary uh, aspects that's a bigger deal for fans than it is within the walls of the franchise you know your general manager les need he he very much reminds me uh, his track record anyway very much reminds me of the bears former general manager jerry angelo where he had a real knack for finding defensive talent i mean draft picks and free agency whoever he brought in really just seemed to be the perfect fit for the team however couldn't pick an offensive player out of a lineup if he had to uh however his crowning offensive choice uh in in his tenure with the bears was also a running back in matt forte and i would have to say that les needs choice of todd Gurley, despite his injury uh the year before has obviously been a huge uh huge boost uh for the team how, how much of a boost exactly on offense would it be because i see that you guys are fourth in rushing but still dead last in passing yards uh, in the league so far this yeah. year. And I think that's part of the problem. And one thing I would point out is that Lesney, despite being the titular general manager, is still playing uh, deputy to Jeff Fisher. It's really Fisher's franchise to run. He runs uh, essentially the draft schedule. Even though Lesney certainly has, uh, say, responsibilities singular to the general manager position. It's Jeff Fisher who really runs the show, but certainly you got to credit both of them for the defense that they've built. I think the problem is that you're going into the fourth year and still seeking solutions in the passing offense. Uh, you know, the fact that they drafted Brian Quick, second round pick, traded up to get Tavon Austin, drafted Stedman Bailey as a day two guy, uh, brought in Kenny Britt through free agency. They, they've made the kind of moves that you need to to improve the passing off. It's just not happening. Uh, and part of it's schematic. You know, Jeff Fisher doesn't coach very uh, explosive and productive passing offenses. Part of it is that the players haven't improved. You look at somebody like Brian Quick, where there's been no individual development until the beginning of last year now he gets hurt in 2014 and I don't know if he hasn't recovered or what but certainly he's not bringing anything to the table in 2015 there's no wideout threat the tight ends aren't really supporting them with any kind of you know uh, credible uh, means to as decoys or options to take focus away from opposing defenses so there's just nothing there and it's not just the passing offense in general which you noted is at the bottom of the league it's also the third down offense which is the worst in the league the fact that they've gone out and invested so much in running backs second round pick in isaiah peed uh, fifth round pick in zach stacy both of whom are now gone you know just three two and three years later then you've got a two 2014 third round pick in trey mason and now a 2015 first round pick in running backs they've position so heavily that if they weren't getting great position, it'd be grounds just to fire them both. 
the fact that they got so much production out of Todd Gurley these last five games and yet have still struggled to score points offensively, I think is a combination of what they've done offensively over the last four years. So as good as Todd Gurley's been, and he's been great, the, the reality is it's just him and Tavon Austin, and that's not enough to run a functional offense in the NFL, and that's why the Rams are still losing games. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, you, you come out and you scored 34 points on the Seahawks, which is, you know, coming into the season appeared to be virtually impossible. Then you can only muster 10. Sure. 10 against the Redskins, only six against the Steelers. Uh, you know, then you put up 24 on the Cardinals. So, yeah, it, like that's where I come w- up with the, the schizophrenic term where you just don't know where the Rams are going to come from. And, you know, you, 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 you seem to handle teams like the Browns and the 49ers, but then you couldn't – you only put up 18 last week against the, against the uh, Vikings uh, and, and such. So – you know, as as someone as as a football fan that's kind of been waiting for the Rams to make this reemergence, you know, it's also been frustrating for me just on the outside. But like, man, they if they just put it together offensively, this would probably be the most dangerous team in the NFL. Sure, and I think the key for people to understand in terms of expectations is they're just not going to put it together offensively, right? They're they're not in position to do that schematically. Uh, from the coaching standpoint, they're not in the standpoint. To, uh, they're not going to put it together offensively from the talent standpoint. It's not that Nick Foles is bad, but it's certainly he's not the kind of quarterback that can elevate an entire offense. The Rams don't necessarily need him to be either, so it's not like he's going to take huge risks in managing the football game over 60 minutes because when you've got Todd Gurley, Tavon Austin, and the defense that they've got, you can't afford to make mistakes that you know, give teams a great field position. We saw that against Minnesota. We saw that before the, the bye week. Uh, they don't need that. They need somebody who can be a consistent game manager and kind of let the running game grind out chunks of yardage, get in field goal position, and then let the defense essentially win the game. That was the blueprint again for the Vikings, and they had the lead at halftime. They were tied at the end of regulation on the road against, let's say, playoff caliber opponent. That's really the blueprint. So the idea that they're going to get much more offense, which a lot of Rams fans are hoping, that's kind of a false uh, hope. It's just not going to come but the rams don't really need it to come that's not how they're going to win football games and that's not how they're built i I guess that's you know coming from you know the greatest show on turf and and everything like that points is how the rams won football games uh back then so i guess that's that's what people like me and such are are waiting for maybe not that they're going to come out and put 500 yards up on on everybody and 40 points a game uh like they did uh back in the glory days but that you know or or just to find some kind of uh, level of consistency what you, so you say third down offense has been a big problem uh, for the Rams because you know like I said I'm, I'm looking at the schedule and and I remember how shocked I was at how badly they lost to the Redskins what was a game like that you know is they only mustered 10 points granted they were on the road but they still lost to what many people thought was the worst franchise in football uh, especially going into that week sure. What went wrong that week and, and in games against the, like the Steelers and uh, the Packers and such where the offense was just not existent? Yeah, well, let's start with the Redskins game. The, the biggest issue there was the running game on both sides of the ball. They struggled to stop the run. Both Alfred Morris and Matt Jones gashed the Rams' defense on the ground. Uh, and it's very difficult to stop teams, even when you got a defense as talented as the Rams. When a team's moving the ball on the ground, it opens up the entirety of the playbook because now you got the play action, you got misdirection, you've got you can start working some deeper passes because you can't send the defensive line on early downs because they don't want to over pursue with the run. 
Uh, and that's where the Rams struggled. Now, since then, they've gotten much better at stopping the run. That's why you've gotten better defensive performances. Uh, but also on the offensive side, where the Rams are relying on the ground game to get their offense going, uh, they didn't have Todd Gurley yet. Trey Mason was just coming out of an injury that uh, forced him to miss the first game of the season. And it just wasn't there. You got a young offensive line with three new starters. Jamon Brown, who's an offensive guard, played tackle at Louisville. He's a rookie. Rob Havenstein, the starting right tackle, missed last week against the Vikings, but should be back this week, hopefully. Uh, he's also a rookie starting. And then you got Tim Barnes, starting center, who has been with the team for a little bit, but uh, was pressed into some action last year. Uh, still hadn't gotten a starting gig until this year. There was a camp battle, and he ended up emerging as the favorite going into the 2015 season. So all of that together meant that you know the Rams really struggled to defend the run and get the run going in Week 2, and just some other mistakes meant they were behind the ball. And it's not the kind of team that can really come from behind. Like I said, they're not an explosive offense, so... Uh, if the Rams drop to an early deficit, they're not the kind of team that's oftentimes going to be able to overcome that. The good thing is that's really the only game where they found themselves in a big hole like that that they have had to try to deal with. Uh, against the Packers and the Steelers, I think it was a bit of the same issue. It's uh, you know moving the chains when you don't have any passing offense. Uh, and teams start to key on the run and kind of contain as best you can Todd Gurley. I mean, he's still going for 100 yards but it's the running game right uh, when that opens things up in the playbook you've still got to connect and that's been the Rams problem is they just don't have that connection they don't have wide receivers who can win on the outside uh, like I mentioned rolled uh, rattled off the names for you the tight ends you know Jared Cook is supposed to be a, a legitimate threat in the passing offense this year and in years past and he's just not getting it done uh, drops inconsistent routes uh, Nick Foles is looking him off for whatever reason. There's just not a you know that trust factor that he's going to hit the seam or hit that zone hole when you need him to on those timing routes where you're throwing a guy open before he's there. It's just not working, uh, and it's not working across the entire passing offense. It's a struggle, and you know, like I said, I don't think it's going to get much better. The Rams are going to have to improve in other areas uh, to work that out, and I think penalties is another big issue. Just like a deficit uh, early on, the Rams can't overcome you know ten yard penalties when you pick up a holding penalty. If this team isn't over, able to get first downs when you start off first and 10, if you had another 10 yards, it's asking too much out of an offense that can't get it done anyway. Right. So basically is, is that's why I'm, I'm, I've been excited and worried about this game sure. uh, on Sunday because I'm excited because the Rams seem like a team that, that the Bears could beat. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling to find our footing, new new head coach, new general manager, new defensive scheme, a lot of new bodies in right. on the team, uh, you know, but the effort is there, and we're in the games at the end pretty much every week uh, so far. However, the Rams also seem like that kind of team that can absolutely run us out of the arena uh, on Sunday, that they can just run the Bears, you know, out of the building. And even in the, the opening to the show, uh, before I got started, I, you know, which team is going to show up and will the Bears be able to beat them were the two main questions that I asked, you know, at the beginning. Um, you know, is it going to be that team that is going to absolutely dominate us on defense and then run us out of the building with, you know, with Gurley and Austin and, you know, Jared Cook gets going and things like that? Or will it be the team like you're absolutely scratching your head on? It's like, where are they going to show up today? Is it going to happen? You know, um, Going into this game, where, where do you think the Rams are right now? What 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 do you foresee on Sunday? Yeah, the Ram, I mean, 
mean, the Rams aren't markedly different than they have been in the last month and a half. Uh, you know, the, the identity is the same. They've only had a couple major injuries. Like I mentioned, the real th- big three are EJ Gaines, Roger Saffold, and Alec Ogletree. And they're pretty deep at those positions. So they've been able to, uh, you know, stand by uh, those injuries and still come out looking all right. I think the real key for you guys is, number one, you got to stick with the run. Where the Rams have struggled against teams offensively, it's where the run game uh, has been something that they've got to deal with over the course of an entire game. You look at, like, Pittsburgh. They largely abandoned the run even when uh, Ben Roethlisberger went down. Uh, trying to pick, uh, you know, passes off on the sidelines and and move the chains through the air. That's not the easiest way, or that's not even the best way to attack the Rams because they're really competent uh, in the secondary. They like to leave open the middle of the field uh, and take away the sidelines and the deep ball. And if you're willing to pass the ball by design, you know, three, four, five, six yard chunks, that's always going to be available. The problem is, and you saw this against the Vikings, you certainly saw it against San Francisco and Cleveland, the Rams are incredibly physical. Uh, and part of the reason they give you that three, four or five yard cushion over the middle of the field is uh, they're going to make it hurt and they're going to bring a lot of physicality in tackling. I don't necessarily mean the dirtiness or chippiness that a a lot of which has defined this last week because of the Teddy Bridgewater hit by LaMarcus Joyner. What I do mean is the dozen or more uh, hits that he took before that, right, that didn't get the headlines, but certainly take a wear and tear on your quarterback and running back. Uh, The Rams are incredibly adept at sniffing out screens. And, you know, very, very proficient tacklers from their cornerback position. You don't see that from a lot of teams, but Janoris Jenkins and Trumaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner are very good tackling cornerbacks, very physical tackling cornerbacks. And so when you supplant that with the linebackers and the safeties, uh, the Rams are going to make it hurt. And that's kind of why, even without a passing offense, they're still a capable team. And one that certainly is going to be in position to make a playoff run is everything else they do besides pass the ball. You've got the talent of Todd Early. You've got the explosiveness. Austin on offense, and that's generally enough to get you a touchdown, maybe two, and then you know a bevy of field goals. But what you do in terms of special teams, and certainly what you do in defense, is enough to get them over the hump. So in terms of this game, what you're looking for against the Bears and what kind of team shows up, you guys are going to have to run the ball, and you're going to have to be able to take the physicality of the Rams just to be in position. All right. So um, last question that I have for you: It have you been to Edwards Jones Dome to to see the Rams play in person? So I haven't. I went to a Rams game in Los Angeles when I was real young, but I've never been to the Ed uh, slash Trans World Dome. Uh, it's not a great stadium by uh, all accounts. I think the problem is it's a, still a relatively new stadium. Um, and, and with the Los Angeles issue looming in the shadows or in the background of this season, what's interesting is that St. Louis is now uh, putting forth a plan to build a second stadium in 25 years which is a, you know, a relative anomaly in the sports world to have two stadiums constructed in that short of a time frame, let alone to have it done for a team that's still willing to leave that market. Uh, I think that's a horrible precedent to set for professional sports, but in terms of the city, in terms of the stadium, uh, I think it's impressive that they're willing to do it over the course of 25 years. I think that also speaks to the quality of the Edward Jones Dome, that even as, let's say, quote-unquote, as new as it is, that the Rams and uh, the city's willing to move away from it, that speaks to the nature of that stadium and maybe why I haven't made the trip out there yet. I mean, there are people that have demanded that I get out there to see the Rams in person, and I I want to. It it just hasn't happened yet. Because I was actually there two years ago when the Bears played the Rams the last time. I'm sorry. I'm uh, sorry. Well, you know what? It was it was actually, honestly, as far as the actual experience, the overall, it was probably the most fun I've ever sure. had at an NFL game. Good. Mostly because the Bear fans travel so well. And St. Louis St. Louis is one of the closest markets that we have. 
Well, and Rams opponents tend to travel well because they know that, you know, it's a good opportunity to show up in numbers, uh, especially over the last decade. You know, Rams haven't had a winning season since 2003. That's going to affect any fan market and fan base. And so, yeah, certainly the proximity helps you guys. But any team that's been playing the Rams over the last, let's say, five to six years has been able to show up in good numbers. And, yeah, like you said, the experience by all accounts is a good one, uh, even for opposing fans. Yeah, I mean it. It was, and the other thing was, I was um, I was next to a section that was filled with Bear fans, but sitting in the middle of one where I was surrounded by St. Louis fans, and it wasn't an unpleasant experience because the fans weren't, you know, malicious or evil or anything like that. When I stood up to cheer when the Bears did something well, no one was sticking a finger in my face when the Rams did something well, and you know, the Rams ended up winning that game. Uh, and everything and I didn't walk away thinking like well I'm never coming back to this place St. Louis sucks or anything uh, like that you know it ended up being a really good time and I'm actually kind of disappointed I couldn't go back uh, this year yeah I mean it's been a uh, popular refrain that we've heard from opposing fans that it's a good environment it's a great experience uh, but yeah, the stadium isn't great. And, and I think that's part of the problem is that you've got a, a fan base that is as welcoming for football as they are. And if you watch the town halls, I don't know if you saw any of them, uh, Larry, but the, the, the town halls that they had in St. Louis, Oakland, and San Diego, uh, part of it is just the NFL. It's a bylaw that they have to hold these town halls for any team that's considering relocation. So they did it just to meet the measure of their, you know, internal rules. But if you watched them, it was clear that the city of St. Louis took their town hall, uh, I won't say more seriously, but more, let's say more passionately than San Diego and Oakland fans did. Now, that may be because the fans in San Diego and Oakland didn't treat them very seriously, but certainly fans in St. Louis did. And I, I think that speaks to uh, how committed and how uh, dedicated that market is to uh, NFL football in general, but how committed they are to the Rams as well. And I thought that was really interesting to see that for a team that uh, between the three uh, maybe had arguably the least uh, committed tenure in their market, or at least what people expected to be the case that they showed up so publicly and and made that a uh, non-starter. So I think it's great that it, that it matches kind of the experience that you've, uh, you know, explained and what I've heard from a lot of people that they've had a good time when they've gone to see football there. It's just, you know, the facilities certainly aren't up to snuff in this era for NFL football and for a market that, you know, many people try to build St. Louis as a small market. Uh, maybe in terms if you're looking at, you know, Chicago, L.A. and New York as the standard, it, it may be. But in terms of the NFL, it's certainly not. And so it, it's good to hear those stories. But I'm interested to see how that bears itself out for the St. Louis market moving forward. So what, do you, what are you hearing uh, as the, the likelihood of there being St. Louis Rams football in St. Louis next year? Yeah, so I think the problem is there's not a lot to hear. I think it's still too early for, like, sources or that kind of thing. Right. Um, only because what what you've got right now, and it's just it's two things. Number one, you've got a business uh, leverage standpoint where Stan Kroenke bought the land in Los Angeles, and because he owned it, he could start developing it, and that accelerated things and gave him the leverage originally, uh, according to some reports. He and Dean Spanos, the owner of the San Diego Chargers, were going to go in together on that land in Inglewood, and because Kroenke uh, bought it outright and started advancing his own interest individually, that forced the Chargers to come up with some kind of a solution uh, faster than perhaps they would have liked to, uh, which uh, meant that they had to go in uh, quickly on the uh, Carson deal, 
but they've gotten their backers. They actually picked one up from Disney this week. Uh, they've got Goldman Sachs providing the financing to put things together. So it's not that they don't have a credible plan. It's that they've had to advance things on a timeline that they didn't really expect. Uh, so the, you've got the business leverage issue. The other issue that you've got at hand is an economic philo- philosophy one where should – and I know this is getting deep, especially for fans who don't really care about the relocation issue – is should an owner in the NFL be able to do uh, what he or she wants with his or her football team or should it be up to the collective will of all 32 owners, right? So you, you've got kind of the, this individual capitalist view and then you've got kind of a collectivist view. Um, and I think that's the competing issue at play that we just don't get any reporting on and we're not going to because you don't get any kind of media coverage from those kind of closed door meetings is when you've got owners like Jerry Jones, who owns the Cowboys, obviously Dan Snyder, who owns the Redskins and Stan Kroenke, who owns the Rams. These are owners who say, I own the team. I'm going to do whatever I want with them. Uh, and then you've got a lot of owners, certainly in smaller markets, who say, look, what serves the NFL and all owners is what serves us individually best. And that's really the competing philosophies at play uh, in terms of what is going to happen to the Rams. And certainly what happens to the Rams is what drives the entire issue with Los Angeles. And, and we just don't get a sense of where that needle is uh, swaying one way or the other because – I mean, if the NFL doesn't do anything to stop Stan Kroenke from moving, there's no impediment for him to moving the team. He owns the team. He owns the land. He's willing to finance a stadium with his own private money. He's been greasing the politicians for wheels, so there's no kind of civic uh, legislative hurdles that he's going to have to get over uh, in any real sense in the Los Angeles market. There's nothing really stopping him from moving the team. The only thing that would do it is if you've got a... Uh, mounted challenge from a number of other owners in the NFL who are either A, going to support these other teams moving to the market and therefore taking away his market share, or B, coming up with the kind of penalties that would say, look, you may stand to gain a billion dollars in the net growth of your franchise, but we're willing to put together hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties in one form or another that are going to make that growth less than what you would have naturally by staying in St. Louis. That's the kind of thing that may force him to reconsider as well. But other than that, there's just really nothing to stop him if he truly wants to move the franchise. Uh, I don't see how they're going to find a way to stop him from doing it if it's not going to happen on financial terms all right so final question then how do you feel about it do you want the rams to stay in st louis will you still be i mean obviously you're still going to be a fan if they move to la what excites you more staying in st louis or moving to los angeles yeah here's what i would say is i think i think it does a disservice to sports and as a fan it, it would worry me greatly that you've got a top 20 market in the united states that's willing to build a second stadium in less than 25 years using some form of public money and still allow that franchise to leave uh, within a 30-year time frame. Because what, what that says to me is there's nothing, there's nothing that a city or its fans can do to keep a tenant team, right? I mean, because that's the ultimate show of commitment is to come up with a stadium and provide public dollars for it. And it worries me that you could move a franchise when the city is willing to do that. Uh, that would, I mean, that essentially puts any single pro sports franchise uh, on notice that, look, if an owner decides that hey, I, I want a new stadium because I can make more money and I'm looking at a market that may have, you know, a larger population, a larger, uh, you know, corporate base to be able to make some more money from. I need a new stadium. I need it now is generally the play that we've seen, you know, in markets like Minnesota, even San Francisco to some degree with Levi's and what you've seen moving forward from Atlanta. Uh, 
now that threat is even more real if the Rams move because it, it says that it doesn't matter what the host city does. There's always going to be this threat of moving the franchise, and I think that's worrisome in general. Uh, so I'm not really committed. You know, I, I've never – I was not – born i didn't live in st louis uh i'm not really necessarily tied to los angeles in any real meaningful way even though i was born there what i'd like to see done is something fair i i think los angeles deserves nfl football i think the problem is and it gets back to what we say what almost every other week when one of these issues pops up for the nfl roger goodell's mismanaged the issue and uh you know what what should have been done is there should have been some credible plan to get los angeles football back uh, in the last 10 years, instead of using it as this leverage play for host stadiums in native markets, there should have been something public to say, look, here's how we need to get Los Angeles football back. Is it going to come from a franchise that already exists? And if so, who are the candidates? And let's play this out publicly to make it fair. Or do we need to find some route to expansion? Because obviously between Los Angeles and the international markets, that's always been one thing that's popped up. I think it's unfortunate that you've got this competing factions between Rams fans in St. Louis and Rams fans in Los Angeles that are trying to play themselves off as the better market when both are viable NFL markets. And it does a disservice to both cities as well. It's unfortunate, but it's where we are. All right. Well, thanks, Joe, uh, for uh, for being on the uh, the show. We appreciate uh, appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to talk to us. And uh, looking forward to the game on Sunday. Like I said, I'm excited and I'm scared because I don't know which Rams team is going to show up. Hopefully it's the team that couldn't get out of its own way against uh, – Washington so the Bears can continue to roll like they did against San Diego on Monday yeah it's going to be I think it's going to be down to the ground game as it is every week with the Rams you saw it last week against the Vikings with Adrian Peterson they got enough to stay in the game and score enough points and really keep the Rams offense limited uh, if you can do that on the ground and, and keep the Rams ground game itself limited then you guys will certainly be in position to sniff out a win all right Joe McAtee turf show times from SB Nation talking Bears Rams week number 10 He's a chatty one, isn't he? You ask him a question and just sit back and let him go. But great stuff from Joe McAtee. Turf Show Times on SBNation.com. Uh, good stuff from, from him. And uh, check out their SB Nation page for the latest on the Rams. Him and his uh, slew of writers that they have there on the page. Uh, you know, all the in-depth stuff that, uh, that you need there if you want to get caught up in what's going on with the Rams. And obviously the Bears have their own page, the Windy City Gridiron. Uh, is the name of the page on SB Nation. Good stuff. A lot of good information on that page uh, as well. So check out all the pages on uh, SB Nation. And check me out on Twitter, at ChiBearsReview, C-H-I Bears Review. Some of you guys have been hitting me up with questions uh, on Twitter. I'm, I'm not doing the, um, the what you call, the live tweeting uh, during the games. Um, it's a little too distracting. And I find out that my fat fingers, I just can't type fast enough on my phone because I don't want to have a laptop in front of me while I'm trying to watch the game. So I'm trying to do it on my phone, and it's just I'm always having to go back. Otherwise, it just looks like gibberish. You know, you, you sit there and you look and you type something up, and then you sit and you look at it before you actually tweet it, and you're like, is this in Sanskrit? What did I just write here? I, I have no idea what he was trying to say uh, at this point. So, And while I sit there trying to figure out uh, we're about three plays past the point I was trying to make. So I don't do the live tweeting uh, anymore. It was uh, kind of stressful. Also, considering that uh, I didn't live tweet 
the, the games that I was live tweeting, we lost them all, all three of them, the, the Green Bay, Arizona, Saint, uh, Seattle uh, games. Yeah, that uh, that sucked. So that's I'm like, Jinx, not doing this anymore. No, thanks. We'll uh, we'll just go with the with the whatever. So if you guys got questions during the game, hit me up on Twitter and I will uh, hit you back as soon as I possibly can with my own insight to your question uh, or anything like that. And also feel free to throw uh, bear up, bear down uh, nominees at me on Twitter uh, as well. You can also do that on the Facebook page. Just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook. Pop right up. Uh, join the group and uh, be part of the discussion that we have. That's where I post all my notices for for new episodes. Uh, do that on Twitter as well for those of you following me on on Twitter. So just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook. It'll pop right up, and uh, you'll get notified on all the uh, the shows uh, going up and, and and anything else that I feel like imparting my wisdom to you all uh, about. So um, thanks again to Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times on SB Nation for joining us. Uh, this week and we will be back on monday to talk about this game between the bears and the rams and see how well it goes which of those schizophrenic jekyll and Hyde teams showed up to play uh, on sunday and programming note for you guys it's not going to be on fox the bears and the rams actually got flexed over to cbs so if you're trying to find the bears game on sunday an nfc game between two nfc teams will be on the AFC Network, CBS. So go figure. But that's where you'll be able to find the Bears on Sunday on CBS, not on Fox as it was originally scheduled. So be sure that uh, you mark that one down or check your DVRs to make sure that you're on the right channel when things kick off at noon uh, on Sunday. Other things coming up. We got a busy, busy, busy week uh, coming up. We got Lori Lattimore Volkman already committed to come back. Remember, we had her during the summer talking about the Denver Broncos. She's from the Mile High Report on SB Nation. We'll be talking to her next week for the preview. And then we'll be doing, well, actually the week after. That's going to be the busy week because we're going to be doing a review episode and a preview episode back-to-back, hoping that we can get Tex Western uh, from the Acme Packing Company for the Packers back in time to preview that uh, Thanksgiving night uh, game between the Bears and the Packers, the rematch, and the Bears need this one. Not only will it be our first division game after dropping the first three to Green Bay, Detroit, and Minnesota, but if the Bears lose that game against Green Bay, then the series between the two teams is officially tied. We've had the lead on Green Bay in the series for years. Then Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers happened, and the gap has been closing ever since. If the Packers win on Thanksgiving night, which, God forbid, they most likely will because it's Thanksgiving night, it's national TV, it's Sunday night football crew because the Bears don't play well on Sunday night, it's Lambeau, and just to throw a little more fuel on the fire, it is Brett Favre jersey retirement night. So just one big giant kick in the balls for the Bears that night <laughs> all these hills that we have to climb not to mention we'll be recovering from playing the denver broncos three days earlier so uh yeah not looking forward to that game at all but if we want to avoid having the series tied the bears gotta win that one against the packers on thanksgiving night so that is what we have ahead of us we got Lori Latimer, Larry Lattimore Volkman coming back, and hopefully we'll get in touch with Tex, see if we can't get him to squeeze us in before the Thanksgiving holiday to join us for the preview show before that Thanksgiving night game. So 
That is going to do it for the Week 10 preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Like I said, come back on Monday when we're talking about this game against the Rams, and hopefully it will be another victory episode of the Chicago Bears Review. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.